Thanks so much for joining me today on the Cocktie Podcast. I'm your host, Gary. In case you're new to the show, I'm the editor and resident curmudgeon here at Fortner.com. Get off my lawn! You may have seen me as the DM for Quest for the Cure, or Icehold's Rama the Frostmaiden, as Cicero on Cyberpunk Independence, as Doc on Scribes and Scrolls, or sailing on the SS Failboat over at Talon and Claw. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show or follow us on social media at fortnerd.com. That's fortnerd, D-O-T-C-O-M. Or both. Both works for me, but whatever works for you is fine. The big news is that today is a day off Twitch. It's a movement of streamers, content creators, and viewers protesting Twitch's inaction against the hate raids and bots which have been plaguing the site. Twitch has taken no action to stop or protect its streamers, who are by and large the most vulnerable, including BIMPOC, LGBTQ2SIA, and others. We're proud to stand with our fellow creators and say enough is enough. Do better, Twitch. Fortner.com is dark today on Twitch, in support of this movement. This past weekend saw the penultimate episode of Quest for the Cure. We raised just over $500, which puts our total at more than $25,000 since we started last September. There's only one more episode to go in our series, and perhaps most, but not all, shall be revealed. In further Quest for the Cure news, this coming Saturday is our first side quest. DM Lauren Urban will guide Goblin Katie, Eugenio Vargas, Chris Siddiqui, Robo Goblin, D20, and Hope Lavelle through a fun and wacky one-shot adventure. The game starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash teamsquadup. I will, of course, include that link in the show notes. This is the final week of SideQuest Seed Auctions, so get in before it's too late. I'll post that link in the show notes as well. It's not too late, but it's getting there. Today I'm chatting with Fluffy Snowfall. She's a variety streamer, TTRPG player, and all in all, a ray of sunshine. She's so quick to uplift others, and her generous spirit knows no bounds. I hope you enjoy my chat with Fluffy Snowfall. Fluffy, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Hi, how are you? You know what? I'm living the dream. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing okay. Can't really complain. I'm really excited to, to chat with you. And I don't know if you've heard the show before, but I always like to start with a question that inquires over your origin story with Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs. I'm always curious about the threads that unite us as tabletop RPG players, because obviously we spend a lot of our time thinking about it, playing it. So how did you first get involved in Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPGs? Which was, which was first and how did it happen? Oh man, well, that's a story. Uh, so originally I tried to give it a shot like back in um, end of middle school, early high school. Mm-hmm. But the friend that ran it was very like, was very much a literalist. Mm-hmm. So I tried to, you know, play not really knowing. They ended up giving me a character with like ridiculous strength and started me off with like a thief trying to pickpocket me. So I grabbed their arm and he goes through this whole description about how I apparently ripped the thieves arm off and was put in prison. And so like for a while that I was just like, okay, that this is not something I like. And 
you know, didn't think D&D was for me. Um, then I went to college and uh, trying to make some friends. I joined the uh, college's gaming group mm-hmm. and um, honestly met a lot, like a big group of friends there. The core of which like um, was one of the best DMs I've ever had. And they're the ones that actually got me interested because I could, I saw that it was you know, more collaborative and not just the original impression of somebody's out to get you. Right. And, you know, I played with that group for the four years of college and uh, the DM that helped me, you know, enjoy role-playing games and whatnot is still one of my very best friends. So it's uh, really been nice to have kind of a lifelong friend out of that. And do you still play RPGs with this DM? Um, I try to. Uh, schedules don't always work. Yeah. Um, I ran a, a Curse of Strahd campaign for them and some other uh, friends that live in the same town. And, um, you know, then the pandemic hit. We finished it up on Roll20, but not the same. You know, it was, it was nice to have that uh, at-the-table feel. I think when my schedule clears up again, I might try to play some more with them. You talked about your first experience with Dungeons and Dragons being a negative one. And, and you shared a memory of that first game that you grab the thieves arm and you, and you rip his arm off. Obviously the, the DM might not have been particularly mature, but I'd like to know when you started playing in college, Obviously, mm-hmm. that was your second opportunity, and you clearly fell in love with D&D after that. Mm-hmm. What was an experience, uh, something you remember from that first game, and what was it about Dungeons & Dragons that hooked you? Because obviously you're interested because you're still yeah. passionate about it. Well, so like I, I played other role-playing games in college. Um, kind of the first one I played with these friends was, I think it was second edition of Big Eyes, Small Mouth. Uh, the anime role-playing game and that was really fun you know we played it in the dorm basement Uh, but then sophomore year the dm had a homebrew campaign Uh, he wanted to run this was uh, kind of right at the cusp of third edition transitioning to three five and we played this long form campaign and you know i the this friend proved that they're a good dm and they you know are good at paying attention to the needs of the table and and telling a story with the others. And it just, it just, you know, clicked. We started off like as a group of adventurers, we were all childhood friends that went off to go learn their trades and you're supposed to come back in, you know, a few years. And one of the, you know, we all come back to our home village and we find out that, you know, the central friend and this group of friends has been kidnapped. And so we all kind of go off on our adventures to save them. And it just kind of spiraled from there into something like, you know, started off small, then it turned out like really, um, you know, heavy, heavy uh, costs involved. And like, then it got like really epic and kind of uh, fate of the plane sort of situation. And it was just really fun to get to start off you know, really small, but then kind of work your way up to 
you know, all these great accomplishments as your characters. It's not really something I ever really did before. You know, you, you have your experiences playing like video games, like your Final Fantasy um, or, you know, Skyrim, some of the other RPGs. But it's really fun to get to tell your own story aside from that and, you know, kind of mold it the way you want to go. And it was really, really fun to get to do that. Yeah, D&D has a power and the collaborative storytelling and bringing people together when you get the right people and it clicks, like you said, I think it's just magic. Mm -hmm. If you'll excuse the pun. None at all. So you're a variety streamer. You're, no, you're a TTG RPG player. You're a community mm -hmm. moderator in a bunch of Twitch channels. And you're just generally an uplifting force for people in this space. Oh, thank you. When did you get interested in, in this space and being part of these communities? What, what, how did that happen? Um, you know, honestly, it just kind of happened over time. Uh, a lot of it was through Twitter and just kind of reaching out to people with similar interests. Um, you know, I think the, the start of it was I was really interested in a couple of uh, actual play podcasts, uh, one of which was um, The Dungeon Rats, which was an, a heavily improv-based TTRPG campaign. Uh, you know, a couple of people that People might have heard like Serena Marie and Carlos Luna were a part of that. And I just really was interested in it. And then another one was uh, Tabletop Champions, which is a still ongoing actual play. And I just really liked the, you know, the podcast. They were interesting to listen to. And I started interacting with um, folks in the community, eventually interacting with kind of the folks that played these games. And, you know, made friends with some of them. Then they kind of spanned off from there and uh, eventually made other friends through them. And at that point, I just, you know, really felt like I fit in somewhere and wanted to give back. Like a lot of people have capabilities to do kind of some really big projects or that's something that, you know, that's their career. Whereas like for me, this is a hobby I'm passionate about, but it's still a hobby, mm -hmm. but I want to be a part of that. I want to help others, you know, I, and I think for me, there's, you always see too much like negativity on social media these days, like a lot of it, you know, and rightfully so I'm guilty of it as well, but I just want to try and spread some positivity to kind of take the edge off for a lot of people. And it just kind of built friendships along the way. And here I am after the pandemic, well, we're still in it, but wanting to do something creative. So I wanted to start uh, kind of diving deeper into that and getting more involved. You talked a little bit about why it's important to be positive. And as, as I mentioned, you're generally very positive. You're often uplifting people in our community, which is so generous of you where does that positivity originate like where does it come from you know um part of it has to do with the fact uh kind of just a very brief trigger warning for mental illness um, i suffer from depression and anxiety 
Mm-hmm. I have since I was 13. Um, I've been on medication. I've gone through therapy and everything. And I know how low and how hard it can be sometimes. And I know a lot of folks in the TTRPG space, for one, some reason or another, we all have things that make life difficult. And I didn't want that for other people. And, you know, I just wanted others to be happy. I, I genuinely like to help people. Um, I always jokingly call myself a real life support class because like I'm happiest when other people are happy. You know, when I'm able to get them there, able to help them up, when I'm helping people, that's really what makes me happy. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you do such an amazing job of just calling out people, whether they're creators or um, not, and just people, members of the community and offering them a kind word and saying, you know, I, I see you, you're awesome. Thanks for everything you do. And that's, that is a unique um, hero job. So, you know, thank you for, thank you for being that voice for everybody. I know I'm speaking for the whole community when I say that. No, no problem. Every group needs a healer, right? Indeed. And um, as, as we talked about mental health is health. So um, we've said that on this show before. Um, So absolutely uh, 100%. Now we've talked about this on Twitter, both publicly and in DMS. Mm -hmm. Many of the folks who know, you know, that you're pretty keen on Ravenloft. (laughs) Where did your love of Ravenloft come from? Your excessive love, one might say. (laughs) Oh, geez. Putting me on the spot. Absolutely. Um, That's what, that's what, that's that's what the show's all about. Honestly, it kind of came out from nowhere. Um, you know, growing up, I always had some of those like fascinations with Gothic stories. Like I really liked Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, you know, as a teenager, I would read that. And, uh, I thought it was a really interesting story to the point that I did a bunch of research in college, uh, for a term paper about vampires for one of my, uh, English courses. And, you know, when I looked into that, I saw, you know, looked into mythological vampires, looked into fictional. And at that point, you know, I just kind of passingly learned about, you know, Ravenloft and Strahd, because there's the obvious parallel between Strahd and Dracula. So, you know, kind of some years go by after college, uh, I don't necessarily play D and D so much because most of the folks I'm involved with played other systems. So, I, you know, I would play some other games, but then fifth edition came out and kind of getting some, some, some exposure through the podcast and critical role. I realized how accessible this was. Um, I think one of the complaints I had with third edition was it got very crunchy, which made it difficult to get a story through. And when I saw fifth edition was out, I just started looking out at some of the adventures. Uh, this was a few years ago. And one of the ones I saw was Curse of Strahd. I remember hearing that name back from when I did all that research. So I started looking into the module. I thought it was really, really, really interesting. Um, kind of back to that whole health thing. Um, 
my, uh, my father was diagnosed with several kinds of cancer over the years. And, you know, he's still with us today, but there's always that, that looming cloud of, of, you know, death and losing him. And one of the ways I've been trying to cope is strangely through horror, uh, through like horror movies, horror video games, horror novels, um, just to try and demyth demystify death as a concept. And, you know, the deeper I got into that, the more excited I got to be about doing, um, doing some sort of role-playing with like a darker uh, theme, like a, you know, like with Ravenloft. And I had some friends uh, online that really wanted to play something. And I offered to DM because no one else would. Ran Curse of Strahd on, you know, using the Roll20 module. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think, like, for me in particular, I found Barovia to be just as important a character as the vampire behind it. You know, I thought it had a lot of ambiance and atmosphere and breath behind it. And, you know, we went through that campaign. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I had some friends uh, that lived in the same town that wanted to play. Uh, Curse of Strahd as well. So I said, hey, I've already got the experience doing it once. Let's let's do it again. And I went through that and I learned a lot running it again for a second time with a new group. And it was particularly different for me and it was exciting. And I really liked that. Um, it was neat getting to explore different areas of Barovia and getting to explore kind of some different ways of telling the same story. After that, um, I have a friend who's a variety streamer and she's always the DM for their Saturday D&D games. So I offered, hey, I've already run this campaign twice. I can run it for you a third time without it being that much of a time investment. And she was excited to get to play. So I started doing that and you know, you'd think I'd get sick of it by now, but just the ways to think about gothic horror and like the points of it and how to tell the story, it just got more and more exciting to me. And at that point, I started kind of like, oh, I wonder, wonder what other, other stuff's out there. I know there was uh, all this Ravenloft content in second edition. So I started looking at the old adventures just kind of thematically perusing through wikis. Um, I read some of the Ravenloft books that were released and it was honestly like just in, like the more and more I read into them, the more and more interesting it was just to see all these different ways to tell stories with a with kind of a similar theme, but a different message. And I just got more and more excited about doing that. And honestly, like the deeper I got into it, I found it to be very therapeutic and helping with that whole coping that initially got me into it. It sounds like we had very similar experiences in high school anyway, because I too read Dracula a bunch of times. I also read Frankenstein a bunch of times. And if I have to say I probably prefer Frankenstein but 
Frankenstein's better written, but I just like the the atmosphere of Dracula a bit better. Mm. Yeah, I, I like the the story of the who's the monster that always really got and and if anybody who's watched uh, Scribes and Scrolls on Monday nights might see some influences from that book in my character on mm-hmm. that show. But now we've talked about creating a Ravenloft show. Um, and, you know, we have a bunch of good people who are interested in, and we're working on that behind the scenes. But what are some of the elements of a good Ravenloft game? Obviously, you've run Curse of Strahd a number of times now. And do mm-hmm. those elements differ from a good Ravenloft show? Um, I think, yes. When you're running it for a group, like a small group, you know, you always want to try and kind of personalize it to that specific group. And by doing that as a show, uh, you may not necessarily be able to have your cake and eat it too. Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to tailor the story to the players, okay, you, you know what specific boundaries are in place. You know how you want to approach it and you can do so. But with a show, you also have to take into account the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, the audience are going to bring in completely different set of boundaries and needs and um, situations that might be too much for them. So it's, it's a balancing act because you still want to personalize it. Um, I think one of the most effective things in horror is when it becomes personal or it becomes relatable. I find those things much more frightening than something that, you know, I would, I've kind of laughed at times, this may sound cold, but I find some of the Friday the 13th movies to be comedies more so than horror because it's just ridiculous at times. Whereas some things where it gets personal, you start getting nervous and like you can start empathizing. So with a show, you want to be able to have your players connect with that, but you also want to make sure that it's not so hyper-focused that it alienates viewers or be too intense to scare off viewers. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think people would want to see in a Ravenloft show? So we've talked a little bit about why it's important to to personalize it, but what elements of Ravenloft do you think people would really latch on to. I know that the Black Dice Society is doing a great job of Ravenloft and Mm -hmm. it's very popular. I haven't watched it yet myself, but I know that there's a lot of amazing creators there. And and I wonder what they're doing that is resonating with people, do you think? Um, You know, there's honestly a lot of different ways that I've seen kind of Ravenloft go. You know, there's the the Tales from the Mist uh, stream that happened a few years ago. That was really good with T.K. Johnson and Lisa Penrose. I really thought that was, you know, just the the man and monster kind of storytelling, the fear of the unknown, I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think kind of the the Black Dice Society is doing very similar things of exploring the man and monster 
type stories through captivating, uh, you know, captivating players, everyone in the Black Dice Society, just completely like A-listers, amazing. And it all shows. I think what would make a good Ravenloft story, I, I think is, honestly, I think it would be fun to pick kind of a, a theme, either like a metaphysical theme or a monster theme or so, just you know, something to unravel um, various mysteries around. You know, everyone thinks of Strahd when you think of Ravenloft, but there are other domains as well. You know, some that are in, you know, some that's more Frankenstein based, some that's more apocalyptic horror, some that's more survival horror, some that's other kinds of Gothic, some that's cosmic. Um, so I think it's important to have a goal. So, you know, like I said, unravel something. So like forgiveness, maybe pick forgiveness as a topic. I think that would be fun to explore a campaign based around the concept of forgiveness and what it means for travelers or denizens of these domains of dread, you know, to explore forgiving those that wrong them or forgiving themselves as part of their journey. You know, that that's just like an, an idea um, that I think would be good. Other things, you know, I think having a central theme to work around is important. Yeah, I think that's it's a it's a fascinating object lesson because Ravenloft in particular, as you said, is so many different domains. Each of them is a, has a different feel. So you can mix mix up your your feeling as long as you can keep that same that same theme and it's all sort of within that horror element mm -hmm. so i think there's a lot of story opportunities there which i hope we get the chance to explore in greater detail in the not too distant future mm -hmm. now as i mentioned off the top you're a big fan of ttrpg shows in general uh, you're a moderator for some um mm -hmm. uh to you in general, not specifically Ravenloft, what makes a good TTRPG show? What what are the, the shows that you're watching do that keep your focus and interest? So I am going to be a little different in comparison to other people. You know, a lot of people are going to follow because of the, the depth of the story or, you know, the, the game being played. For me, I think the important thing for me is a mix of that, but also like, I enjoy seeing people around a table playing and enjoying themselves. You know, I think you can easily tell watching through both campaigns of Critical Role that they're all friends. You know, you get that friends around the table feel. I think that's really important. I get that a lot too with uh, one of the shows I moderate for, uh, Second Star to the Right. Like, there's a, a strong sense of camaraderie and friendship there. And I think that enhances their stories. So I, I tend to find shows that have a camaraderie and kind of a, a feeling of friendship. I tend to find those more enjoyable because they're so readily able to play off each other. Okay. Now I'm going to put you on the spot again. 
Um, what are some of your favorites? Like, what are you, what are you watching and why? Obviously you're watching uh, second star to the right. Cause it's great, but yeah, it's really great. Um, otherwise, geez, oh, like there's only so many hours in the day. It's Critical true. roles, the big one, like, yeah. you know, I, I started back in campaign one before they finished. I needed something to occupy the time while I was working because it gets, you know, the office got very quiet. So I just need something with headphones. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, watch Critical Role and fell in love with that, like almost right away. Got through to the end of that, finally got to watch it live and then got through campaign two and just, oh my goodness, they're, you know, they're good at what they do but they are also some of the nicest people ever. Mm. I met Matt and Marisha at Gen Con a couple years ago. And, you know, I talked with them and told them how important their show was and how it helped me cope through kind of the difficulties I had with my father's illness. And, you know, they both just gave me a hug and like just unprompted. I ran into Matt the following game hole and he remembered me and talked and it was really sweet. So that one is just kind of big for me on purpose. Um, otherwise, I still listen to uh, the Tabletop Champions podcast. Uh, that one's been a big one. Um, it's kind of goofier, more, um, you know, kind of on the like slight comedy, slight serious story. They've gone through like several seasons now and each story they have, in, you know, each season's a new group of characters um that's been a lot of fun to listen to over the years um i also try to catch black dice society when i have time i'll probably just do a uh, a deep dive on the vods once all said and done just because it'll give me something to focus on i've really enjoyed that and uh tales from the mists was another one that i would watch regularly and listen to and I thought it was very, very well done, very interesting. T.K. Johnson really knows how to tell a spooky story, and I appreciate them for that. Otherwise, um, you know, I just try to catch bits and bobs here and there from videos that I see being posted of one shots or streams down the road. Watched a few of the Quest for the Cures, and they have been a lot of fun. Um, really enjoyed some of the stuff uh, that you were a part of for Jasper's game day. Those have been fun streams to watch as well. So I'm going to segue now because you have opened the door to my next question. Obviously you joined us uh, for that first Talon and Claw Evangeline game. And we still Mm -hmm. talk about how you counterspelled the meteor swarm level (laughs) nine spell. So now I have to ask you, and I'm putting on the spot again, are you a legend? And was that the greatest moment of your life? Cause I'm pretty sure it was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> um, no, I'm not a legend. Uh, I think that is saved for, for other people. Was it one of the greatest moments of my life? Yeah, that was intense. And I didn't think it was going to work. <laughs> Honestly, when you said I'm in a counterspell, I'm like, why, why bother? And then it worked and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And- and Jake had no idea. He's like, uh, uh. 
I, I disagree. I think that I think that you are a legend and that is going to go down in tabletop history as one of the best moments in any stream anywhere ever. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, now, I know that you're fairly um, actively involved in some game design. You have a friend who's designing games. Why don't you share a little bit about how you're involved in that process and, and what they're working on. Sure. So um, the friend that I mentioned that was the DM in college, he and uh, his wife have a game studio called Void Spiral. And through my friendship with them, I've been helping with play tests and etc. cetera. Um, some of the recent products that they have come out with have been a uh, kind of a I don't know how to describe it other than a gothic horror sort of um, campaign and adventure setting called Oubliette. It's run off of the Fate Core. Uh, so it's kind of the, the four fudge dice rule. And it's all about uh, kind of what what's the afterlife like for those that have been forgotten. And so there's this big story that they tell about this castle of the forgotten called Oubliette, where if for whatever reason your someone's story has been forgotten, they end up there. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with an immortal afterlife where no one remembers you? And it was really interesting to get to go through, had a lot of fun. The book is is really big. It's a it's a it's a big one. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. My friend uh, who runs Void Spiral did all the art, did a lot of the work on the formatting and the and the writing, and it's just it's a very very good, uh, good tabletop system, and I think it's a lot of fun. I've also helped um, another one they did after that was called Heroines of the First Stage. This one was based off of the Dungeon World Apocalypse World rule sets, and kind of that was like okay, so. You, you've handled this this kind of darker tale. Let's do something uplifting. And so they did a adventure and campaign where, like, you're you're kind of the you're making characters who were the original myths. So like a lot of a lot based from like Greek mythology and creation myths. And you play like these these heroes who basically are the first big heroes who save everything. And so it gets really kind of over the top, but in all the best ways. And it's a lot of fun to do that. Really enjoyed playtesting that and kind of helping out with that. Uh, both of those are available on DriveThruRPG if you want to give it a look. Uh, I would recommend it. I think they're fun. And sometimes you need, sometimes you need something that's not D&D to play with. Uh, I know right now they are working on their own rule set. So they're trying to make a unique rule set that um, he's hoping to have done via, via computers and apps. So it's something that you could play without having to haul all of your books around and kind of have that all be self-contained. Um, so I'm really interested to see where that's going. Um, he's doing a lot of the programming behind the scenes right now. And from what I've seen, it's really interesting. 
That sounds really cool. Do you think that at some point you may try your hand at um, designing your own game or RPG? Um, it's an interesting idea. But for me, I think if I were to do anything, it would probably be supplemental products. So either stuff on the DMs Guild, like extra character options or maybe side stories, but, you know, I, like I, I alluded to earlier on, for me, I'm happiest when I'm helping people. So I know I would get much more enjoyment helping folks with their projects than I would be starting my own from scratch. So I, I think I would do some supplemental stuff, but my heart and soul would be into helping, uh, helping folks with their projects. Cause it just, I don't know. I enjoy being a part of that. And I enjoy knowing that I made a positive impact on, on either the person or the project. That sounds really cool. Fluffy, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I can't wait to talk more Ravenloft back behind the curtain. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was absolutely wonderful. And I'm glad to actually get the chance to sit down and talk with you for a little bit. Um, I always appreciate everything you do. Oh, well, that's uh, very kind of you to say, but uh, perhaps a, a bit of an overstatement, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Fluffy. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Subscribe. Always good having you join me. And remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count. I look forward to chatting with you again next week.